Hello, this is Amanda Henderson, former character host at the Disneyland Resort, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 134 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I'm glad you're here. Today is part one of a three-part interview with legendary Disney Imagineer Terry Harden, recorded in person in her studio. This is a three-part interview, and we talked for over 45 minutes before I even started recording. Terry is an eclectic, inspiring, fascinating person, and you're going to love hearing from her. In this episode, Terry talks about what got her interested in working for Disney and what she did when she first got there. Her very first assignment in Imagineering. This is a Stories of the Magic exclusive. The real benefits to being an Imagineer. Halloween at Walt Disney Imagineering. A time she almost left Disney and how she was convinced to stay. Some advice for you and me if you want to work for Disney. And becoming a Muppeteer. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend. And then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and Blackberry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by jewelbeat.com. 
And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Today on Stories of the Magic, I again have the pleasure of interviewing a Disney legendary Imagineer. And she has a more varied history than almost anyone that I've talked to. Terry Harden is an award-winning Disney artist and was a Walt Disney Imagineer for over 10 years. She's designed attractions in France, Japan, and Florida. Her attraction, Dragon's Lair, was voted the number one attraction at Disneyland Paris by guests. By the way, I do have the French name for that written down. I took two years of French. I'm still not going to try to pronounce it. Maybe she can tell us a little bit later how to actually pronounce it correctly. Over the years, she's created multiple limited edition Disney sculpture series, which have attracted the attention of collectors from around the world, and she's designed toys for Mattel, Nickelodeon, and Applause. She's also a puppeteer and performer, and has been a member of the Jim Henson Muppeteers for over 30 years. Her performances can be seen in many Jim Henson productions, such as the TV show Dinosaurs, and the films The Flintstones, Indian in the Cupboard, and The Country Bears. She's also contributed to Men in Black 1 and 2 and Ghostbusters, as well as many national commercials, and she was fortunate to work with Michael Jackson, Elizabeth Taylor, John Goodman, Whoopi Goldberg, and Christopher Walken, to name just a few. I could keep going, but I think you'd rather hear from her than me right now. So, Terry, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Well, thank you very much for having me. Who was that person he just described? (laughs) (laughs) You see that list and you go, really, was that me? I know what you mean. So before we get too far off track, how do you pronounce the name of that Dragon's Lair attraction? I could never do it in French. Okay. Absolutely. I just call it Dragon's Lair. Somebody somewhere out there is going to, you know go to your podcast and then underneath they'll have the exact pronunciation. (laughs) And actually I think that's better that you get uh, audience participation. So I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, everyone says it again and I say I should learn it because it is my dragon's lair, but by the same token, I, I like when people write in and say, this is how you pronounce it, or this is what you do. They also told me my dragon is a she, which I never knew, you know, I'm sculpting this dragon and they say, do you have a name for her? And I say, no, that's your job. (laughs) Now that I know it's her, you know, you guys do it. And that's the blessing of, of keeping the participation in the experience to you guys, the collectors and enthusiasts. That's true. So now I know you've done a lot of interviews and presentations. You have to answer this question a lot. So let's see if we can do kind of the short version so we can move on to some other things. Tell me how you got started working for Disney and what you did at first. Well, the very first time I went to Disney, I was four years old, and um, I don't know that Disney loved me as much as I love them. My uh, my mother decided that she was going to take me to meet Captain Hook, and I was like, are you kidding? A bad guy? I'm four. <laughs> I watched Peter Pan. I know what that guy does. And so I was screaming at my mom, no way, no way, I'm not going. This guy's going to make me walk the plank, blah, blah, blah. And I was kicking, so the poor Hook <laughs> was getting beaten up and finally... Um, my mother, my mother said, okay, you know, that's it. But that park just made a, a positive impression on me with the exception of that particular incident. (laughs) And then when I was a little bit older, I rode uh, jungle cruise and a cast member who was, you know, shooting the, yes, they shot the (laughs) the hippos at one point, (laughs) dad gum it. But anyway, uh, he saw me sketching and he said to me, he said, you know, there's a guy who actually created these figures. And I said, really? What do you mean? And he explained to me about Blaine Gibson. And back in that day, there was no internet. There was no, there was no way other than the newspaper that you could try and And so I just combed newspapers and I watched um, 
wonderful world of Disney or wonderful world of color. And I was like, oh, I've just got to, I've just got to find this guy and finally learned about Blaine Gibson. And, and then years later, when I became an Imagineer, I was actually seated in his chair working in his booth when I became a sculptor at Disney. It was full circle. So yeah, it's all Blaine's fault, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Credit, blame, whatever. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Blaine Gibson and his amazing artwork was was a dream come true when I wanted to do the Disney stuff. It was, I want to do what Blaine does, you know. Sure. So what was the first thing that you actually did for Disney? Oh, this is such a good question. This is a hilarious question. The first thing I did for Disney is one answer, but the first sculpture I did for Disney is a better answer if you guys who are listening will indulge me. Um, I had been working to get in the sculpture department. I was brought in first to do rock work, which was Big Thunder Mountain Paris. That was the first attraction that I was actually brought in to design. But after a couple of years, I managed to get the opportunity to become a sculptor with the sculptors, where we would do the figures, where we would do anything that needed to be made out of clay, uh, anything that needed to be made out of foam, but we were strictly known as the sculptors. So I was finally there. I'm sitting in Blaine's chair and I'm looking around and I can't believe it. I mean, this is one of the most exciting, here I am, I made it, you know? And my supervisor came in and she says, we don't have anything for you. So just, you know, make yourself familiar with your area. And by the way, over on that shelf is all of Blaine's studies. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? What? And I can just like walk over and, and she said, yeah, that's what they're there for. So I spent my first three days working on that. And then I had a guy walk in and he said, okay, we have your, your first assignment. And I said, okay. And he said, um, I don't know how you'll feel about it, but Star Tours has a problem. Star Tours Disneyland has a problem. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, the seat is made out of the same kind of foam that you find in your couches and mattresses. And the problem with this is when people get sick, it absorbs through the fabric into the foam and cast members have a devil of a time cleaning it quickly enough for the next people to come in. I said, wow. <laughs> so we need you to sculpt a seat that we can cover with the corduroy and then it will be made out of a polyfoam, which has a skin on it so that we can just wipe it clean and put on a new cover. Boom, 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 we're done. So I said, okay. So they send me the specs and I'm there sculpting it. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the sculpting studio is on the, the, um, itinerary of any new person that's invited to Disneyland. So you get hired with the studio, you get hired with Imagineering, you get hired with any of the divisions that have to do with those buildings up in Glendale area, you're going to come through on your orientation day through where I am. And so they would come and they realize that they like to do it because as you can tell, I don't, I'm very quiet and I don't say much and I'm really boring. So... <laughs> So they love to come over and they would gather around and what are you doing today, Terry? So this is what they do. And I'm sculpting on this. And I said, you may not want to stop today. I'm like, no, no, no. We want to, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, seriously, you may want to move on. They're just like, no, no, no. So I said, okay, I'm sculpting the vomit seat for Star Tours. <laughs> <And they all laughs> said, 
what? <laughs> I said, you asked. And I said, so that was my very first project was creating the vomit seat. So every time you sit for your Star Tours experience, know that the foam underneath your corduroy seat is mine. So, <laughs> so what a great question you asked. <laughs> <laughs> With most people, I would be afraid that the interview would go downhill from here. How do you top that? How do you? And nobody has asked me that question, which is so your your listeners are first. I mean, I think I've told it maybe once or twice, but your listeners are the first too, you know, because the very first thing I got when I was in the sculpture, and you're so excited. What figure am I going to get to do? What do I do? And it's the vomit seat for Star Tours, you know. <laughs> What? Wow, okay. Makes me in Disneyland. That's true. That's true. My work's in Disneyland. Woohoo! Yeah. In the intro, I mentioned three, three locations, but you're actually in at least four. Yes. I yeah. Shall I autograph that for you? <laughs> uh, so, how, are there any other favorite projects, especially some of maybe the ones that you don't get to talk about very often? Oh my goodness. Just, you know, everybody told me that being an Imagineer meant not a lot of money. And I just kept thinking to myself, if you are someone who wants to be an Imagineer and people are telling you, you're not going to like it because they don't pay you as an artist, is that really why you're going there? I, I don't think that's why you're, you want to be an Imagineer is to get paid a lot of money. Maybe that is a, a portion of it. But I think the main reason is because you want to be with like-minded people who are the creme de la creme of your craft. Mm -hmm. And that's why when they finally gave me the green light to be a part of it, I found it to be joyful. You may not have gotten paid a lot of dollars and um, you may not have had the biggest salary. I don't know. I, I, you know, I was an artist and I was in the model shop and then I was in sculpture studio and I was happy, but I knew I could pick up the phone and call any um, manufacturer business and say, I'm Disney, Disney Imagineer Terry Harden, and I'm wondering about this clay that I read about. And the next thing you know, the truck's backing up. You know, <laughs> will you try it and then give us your give us your opinion? And so I soon realized if I wanted paints, if I wanted Prismacolors, if I wanted something, I would just simply say, I'm curious about this. I'm wondering, and they'd go, would you endorse it? And Disney didn't mind that. You know, if you were doing it for a project you were researching. So for me, that was a tremendous coup. Also, when I was there, Halloween was a big deal. I don't know if it's the same now. I haven't been there during Halloween. But Halloween was so much fun because the, the place pretty much shut down and everybody dressed up and all of the studios would gather at Imagineering and we would compete and be judged and stuff. So you would see these tremendous creative uh, things that came out of it. And me being a teacher, I do a lot of, co I did cosplay to put myself through college. It wasn't cosplay back then. It was costume contest, uh -huh. but I, I built costumes and went to, uh, competitions to raise money for me to go to college. And then, and so when I was Imagineer, I would, people began to realize that I had this ability and would ask me, how can I make, for example, there was a guy in the mailroom. He wanted to go as the queen of hearts. How do I do that? Why don't you come over and I'll show you how to build her. She'll be spectacular. You cover her. I'll show you. And I just did this for the, for the people and they just loved it. So what Imagineering started to do is a few weeks before they would ask me if, if they would say, we're going to commission you 
to teach some classes. So I taught pumpkin sculpting and I taught, uh, uh, costume making. And I taught, uh, I didn't do mask making. That was my dear friend, Peggy Van Pelt. But, uh, so I started to teach people how to do this. And one of the, the greatest things a teacher can have happen to them is to be beat out by their students. So once I started teaching, I was winning like crazy. And then once I started teaching, my students were beating me and it was just a joyful experience. I don't, I don't think there was a better edification of how good of a teacher I was is to watch these people just kick my butt every time I was <laughs> and beat me out for the first prize. So that was a lot of fun. It was just a really great place. So if you want to be an Imagineer, don't worry about the negative stories you're hearing. Don't pick that book off the shelf. Just keep doing, you know, keep following that dream and keep saying to yourself, I want to do it. I want to do it. And then one more thing I'll say on that, and that is, uh, because it was a heavenly experience. Everything I did was was fun. I got to Foley because you can stay in your niche where you are, but the contest, the Halloween events, was a chance for you to show what you did. So I was in Rockwork Division designing Big Thunder and then Dragon's Lair. How does the cave look? How does the dragon move, et cetera? But when it, I wanted to be in the sculpture department. So everything that I wore in the costume cavalcade was sculpted. And designed so that they could see how I incorporate the body or the face or whatever with my sculptures. Uh -huh. And many would come up and go, what? So that's how people started to notice that maybe I would be better in another spot. And then I built a character. So I would do voices like I kind of played, you know, dropping it low like this, you know. You're a disgrace to the forces of evil. And people would, <laughs> and I would just do this. So the next thing I know, I was invited to Foley some of the movies because there was a, there was an area at Imagineering where they were testing sounds and you could do, you know, hit a cassava melon to, to create punching and walk on sand to create walking and then do some voices of the characters. So you just have to keep your eyes open because Imagineering and Disney Studios kind of work hand in glove at certain situations. Animation does too. And you just never know when things are going to pop up that you least expect. The tiger cave, for example, for Aladdin uh -huh. um, is mine. So I had to do two sculptures that then they used to digitize off of in order to create the big tiger cave in the film Aladdin. Would have never happened if I hadn't just done a few more interesting things in my spare time that everyone could see and observe and notice. Wow. Yeah. So Imagineering, you go in and yeah, you can be this, like you could be in the mail room, you could be whatever, but there are little venues that rather than just throw on a costume and wear it or go to a, a costume party or go to a Christmas party where you can show off your ability where people are going to see it. Uh -huh. You know, now you have social media, you can do the same thing. But you just want to show them what, you, what you're made of. Don't sit there and go, oh, rats, I'm in rock work. Yeah, all I'm doing is rocks. You know, you could whine, but don't take the whiny thing. Just say, where, where can I show people that I'm more than, than just the, the rock work design and cavern designs and stuff like that, which is a great job. Mm -hmm. But if you want to expand out, then that's one of the ways that I did. Right. Wow. I feel like we could go off on that for an hour. You sure could. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I didn't mention that I knew most of the nine old men because they were judging the costume thing and then they become your mentors and then, whoa, you know, <laughs> then you have that venue, you know, let's have lunch with Herbie Ryman 
and, uh, you know, and people go, Herbie, oh, you know, and you're thinking he walked to my area at least once a week to make sure I was okay because I was going to quit after four days of Imagineering. I'd had it. I was really upset. I was in a situation where I didn't like the person I was working with and I was really frustrated. And I, I said, I don't need this. I'm, I'm a very good sculptor. I'm demanded. I'm people demand my work. All I thought this would be cool, but this man is treating me very inappropriately and I, I don't want to stay. And Herbie put his arm around me and said, that's, you can't leave. And I was like, what do you mean I can't leave? There's a door right there. (laughs) And he's like, no, you're a very passionate person. You love Disney. If you love Disney, aren't you going to fight for Disney? Are you going to give up? One little thing like a nasty guy is going to keep you from doing what you know Disney needs is passionate people like yourself. Says Herbie telling me this. (sighs) All right. I'll stay. I'll stick it out. He said, seriously, you think my whole life was easy when we started doing Disneyland? You think Walt had it easy? Did they just open their arms and say, yay, Disneyland? They didn't. What if he had had your attitude? Then you feel like really the back. Then you really feel like a northbound end of a southbound horse. (laughs) (laughs) And you go, all right, I get it. I get it. All right. Okay, I'll do it. Um, and he was right. He was right. I almost did, did a terrible thing. But at the time I was really irritated with this particular person and I couldn't see, I couldn't see the big picture. And there was someone right there to say, no, 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 you need to stay. And how kind was that of him to say that? So, yeah. Do you have any other stories, just maybe one or two from any of your interactions or mentors, you know, being mentored by the nine old men? Oh, heard you talk about oh, lot, so. oh. Oh, so I decide my first costume is going to be the ice fairies from Fantasia. Love Fantasia. So I create wings that when I move my body by simply shifting, let me show you that again, (laughs) by simply shifting my shoulder blades, the wings would tilt. So they would actually animate by the way I twisted my body. And then I put myself on rollerblades. So I would skate all through Imagineering as this ice fairy. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. And then it won uh, Best of Show at the competition. And I won a beautiful puppet, which is behind me, of Pluto from the Bob Baker marionette house. They gave me that. And then they gave me a cell of uh, Peach Dragon and actually... Not a Saracel later, that was later. Mm-hmm. Other than they went to Saracels, but I actually got a painted cell of uh, Elliot from Peach Dragon, which was so appropriate. I was like, oh, oh, oh wow. Oh, my goodness. This is really cool. Uh, but afterwards, uh, I was told that the judges wanted to see me. So you had Ollie, you know, you had those two men, you had um, Ken Anderson was there. Ward Kimball was there, um, trying to remember who all else was there. And they were sitting at a table and they wanted to speak to me afterwards. And I roll up in my outfit and they said, how did you come up with this outfit? And I was just standing there going, how did I, how did I get this meeting? You know, you, you guys are, you guys autographed my book. And (laughs) when my mom worked here, you autographed my, my art of Disney book. You did Shere Khan. You did, you know, and they're smiling and they're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. But 
how did you do this outfit? And so I explained it and they said, we've been trying to do ice fairies for the parade down at the park for years. Mm. We just love this design. And so I sat over coffee with about six of my judges and had this artistic conversation. Now all the money in the world doesn't replace that opportunity. You just can't have something like that. I, at the time, was not thinking about my paycheck, which is what I'm absolutely saying. This opportunity is only one place you can get it. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, and all of them sketching and asking me questions and taking notes on my outfit was just like, you know, you're pinching yourself. Am I dreaming? Cause this is just, this can't be happening. And it really was, it really, really, it, it really was, it really was happening. So the next year I did a zebra warrior, which I had sculpted zebras on a, on a chest plate. I had a short skirt I had sculpted and a chest plate kind of a la, a la Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And I had a headdress and a zebra uh, mane. I had cut my hair, shaved the sides and did a mane down the middle. And then I had a helmet of a zebra. And Roy Disney walked up and said, I've got to ask you about this outfit. And I took the helmet off and I threw it at him and it floated through the air. And he said, what is this? And I said, I said, uh, you know, if you're really interested, I'll show you how to build something like that. But I think the heaviest, all of this stuff, it looks heavy, doesn't it? And he said, yeah. And I said, it weighs about, it's like light as a, it's light as a feather. And Roy was like, that is the most fascinating costume I think I've ever seen. That was second year. And he, he wanted to know my name and then where was I working? And after that, he would always come to visit me when he was bored. He'd say, Terry, just want to come over and chat with you a bit. Can I take a seat? Roy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you most certainly can. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about with Imagineering. You found yourself collaborating with people or speaking with people that were you know, that, that were your, your icons, your idols. Now I mentioned Blaine. I didn't get to meet Blaine until I was more of a consultant for Imagineering. And a friend of mine said, I know Blaine, I'm going to introduce the two of you. And then I met him and, uh, Harriet Burns and, uh, they were at the back of my car looking at my sculptures, holding my work and saying, this is some of the most beautiful work we've ever seen. And you hear play it in your head. Now I'm with the man that made it possible for me to even know there was a position for me at Disney. And he's, I think he's saying that my work is good. <laughs> <laughs> and we were friends until um, Harriet, we, we still correspond, you know, we still correspond up until the day he passed. But, but it was, you know, it's just been it's, it's an amazing opportunity. So there's so much more. I mean, I know you got to pay your visa bill. I did too. Sure. But the point is, is you go in with your best price. Don't go in with a low price. And and then understand that that may be the only thing you'll get paid for years. <laughs> you may not get a raise. So kind of keep that in mind. But, uh, but there'll be all kinds of other things and other benefits that could, you know, be there for you. So. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I've been debating for the last few minutes whether I was even going to mention this. And I may cut it out i haven't decided yet but i applied at team disney anaheim uh since i you know have been unemployed for a few months and i applied there uh because i can't drive to burbank for work yeah <laughs> yeah much, you know? <laughs> but i figured just being able to get in there 
and do something as long as I can pay the bills you know, sufficiently. I don't have to have X or anything. Just as long as I can do that. And then I'm working at Disney. I'm right there. If they need help with something in the park, I can do that. I can move into a different department, whatever, but just the chance to be there. And I honestly, I applied just because people kept asking me, Hey, have you applied to work at Disney? No, I haven't. I finally applied just so people would stop asking me. Yeah. And then once I hit submit on that application, like, okay, I really want this now. Yeah. I don't know if I'm qualified for any of the positions I applied for. I don't know anybody I can talk to to help get it seen, but I really want one of these now. Well, and and remember when you go in there that uh, what, what, how would you benefit the park by them hiring you and go in with confidence and, and say, you know, I know this park. I, I love this park. I respect this park. And I think in the current position, I could bring this. I mean, it, it, I know I'm, I'm needing to bring this, but I know because of who I am, I can also bring this. Plus I'm at your service. If you need someone, a go-to person, when people don't want to come to work, for example, I would be more than happy to simply because this is something that I really, really, this is very, very important to me. And, and I think when you speak like that, because a lot of people be shy and they'll be like, Oh, you know, and I think if you want it, you should really, you know, you should really go for it and don't compromise. There's a friend of mine from Florida who applied for Walt Disney World. And they brought him in and they said, well, we don't have a full-time position for you. We have a part-time position for you. And he said, well, I appreciate that, but I really want a full-time position. I, I think that that is the best way I can serve you is with a full-time position. So I think I'll wait. That's very bold, but he knew very clearly what he wanted and it took a little time, but he stood there. And then again, I think he was interviewed three times or four times. And if he's listening, I hope I get this right. But he said that the third time he did it, they did the same thing. Well, we have this part-time position in this area. And he had been managing hotels. So, and very young, but had been in these positions of, of making things come together in hotels. Uh -huh. And finally he said, no, 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 full-time position, full-time position. And they said, well, we don't have one, but let me just look. That's what the interviewer said. Let me just look. And she did typing and she said, you're not going to believe this, but there's a full-time position. And he said, I'll take that. So it's just a matter of being very clear on what you want to do. And I think you have a very, it's a very good idea. You know, uh, one person, he loves being custodian because he's at the park at night when nobody else is there uh -huh. and you're just doing your thing and there's nobody around. It's, I mean, that's what he wanted. So a bus driver who worked for Fullerton College, who all he wanted to do when he retired was to go down to Walt Disney World and drive a bus, just drive around. And I remember sitting with him on the bus, not doing anything else, because this is the beauty of, of being involved with, with Disneyland, is when you start to find out about these people, you ask them about them, those stories are just joyful. And he told me the whole story of Fullerton College, driving the kids, living the dream. I'm going to be a bus driver. And he goes, now look at my bus. And my bus runs on cooking oil. You know, <laughs> right. is that cool or what? And I'm going, yeah. And it's so quiet. He goes, isn't it quiet? And all I do all day is drive my bus, take people to the park, take them back to the hotel, take them to the park. And I'm so happy. So 
you know, it's just what you want. And yeah. don't give up if you get rejected the first time. Just keep on hitting that target because they need you. They really do. Thank you. That's really good advice. And, and I appreciate the encouragement. Too. Yeah. For anyone out there, you know, yeah. if that's what you want, go for it, you know, and speak it. I'm going to be doing this at this. You would be so surprised how well that works when you speak it out loud. And if you're shy and you don't want to speak it amongst your friends, because your friends will be looking at their watch going, when did you say this, this dream was going to happen? Then, then just say it to yourself in the mirror or say it to yourself silently before you go to sleep or when you wake up, because it just has to be out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've heard something along those lines before. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you're getting the good advice here, people, before we even get to the advice I know. part. You know? Well, it, it, it's kind of funny because I'm the Imagineer. We, people call me legendary because I'm here to help you get to where you want to go. I'm more than happy to tell you my stories, but how do my stories help you is a little more important than just, you know, a nice fireside chat, which is also fun. Right. But let's let's help you do if this is what your dream is, if this is what you want to do. Let's help you figure out how you how you can get in here and and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, and since we've been talking about doing things that you just dream of, or in some cases that some people only dream of, and just you know, it's something that's way out there for them. I had mentioned that you were a uh, muppeteer. I don't know if you still do any of that or not. But... Oh yes, whenever they'll have me. <laughs> I thought so. Uh, so. Tell me about that. Like, how did you get started into that? I know, right? Well, when you're, when you're, I call myself an obsessive creative. So I'm kind of like Doug the dog. I go squirrel and I want to go do it. So as I was growing up, anything that had a creative feel to it, I would, I would follow and do. So I did a lot of building on my own. As a young child, I built costumes for myself and my sister. Um, and then I, at six years old, I watched Sherry Lewis and I saw Lamb Chop and I duplicated Lamb Chop. And Lamb Chop became my my buddy. I do a, a thing where I go into schools and I go into organizations and I teach you how, teach kids how to build a buddy. And what does that mean? If you're a child who is facing bullying, and it doesn't mean that you have to have some sort of um, difference about you. Mm -hmm. It just has to be, you could be beautiful. You could be tall. You could be redheaded. You could be blue eyed. You could be, basically you could be anybody. If someone sets their sights on you to bully you, that's it. Right. So sometimes you don't really want to talk to an adult about it. Sometimes you don't really want to have a conversation with anybody. So I found that a puppet is perfect. You put the puppet and the their buddy sits there and listens to you as you talk to them. And uh, I used to say puppetry is a good way to cover the fact that you talk to yourself. But nowadays, <laughs> just put a Bluetooth in your ear and no one will ever know if you're really talking on the phone or not. Right. But at this point, this is what puppets do. So I've gone to schools and done this class where kids build a buddy because puppets became a real... Uh, asset to me when I was being bullied. I, I'm white, but I'm half black. So my look is black. I have dreadlocks, but they're blonde. And when I was a kid, I didn't have cool dreadlocks. My hair just went out in every direction like a dandelion. And it was the uh, object of ridicule from either side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't fun, but that's, you know, but that which does not kill you, makes you stronger. So I just kept saying, you know, I had, a, I have, my dad was amazing in helping me realize that, you know, being an individual is a great thing. So, so I did these puppets and uh, I wanted to be an actor and the auditions would not 
hire me as an actor because I looked different. Mm -hmm. So I realized that if I did puppetry, it didn't matter what I look like. So in 19, well, let's just say in the eighties, um, <laughs> I don't have to tell you exact year. I was asked to do a chicken McNugget commercial in New York and chicken McNuggets were these, you know what chicken McNuggets are, but we did the puppets that used to sit and dance and later they were computer generated, but we used to, I built those. I remember those. Yeah. Those, those were my little building and we were, we were sent to New York to do a McDonald's commercial and, and, and puppeteer these McNuggets in a commercial. And we were there for a few days, and the person who was my lead puppeteer wanted to go to the opera. Well, long story short, I said, what's in it for me? Because opera was not necessarily my thing. Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, what do you want? And I said, I want to go to Jim Henson Studios and see the studios. And he goes to meet Jim. And I said, well, you know, that'd be nice, but I really want to go to where they build the puppets because I couldn't figure out how Miss Piggy was built. And when I went, I met Jim. He wasn't supposed to be there, but he was. And Jim looked at me with laser focus from across the room, not because I was stunningly beautiful as a woman, but because I was a woman. And back then there were two women to every 30 men in professional puppetry. For one thing, you have to be strong mm -hmm. physically. And for another, you can't wear makeup because we're under the floor, not on it. We're in a couch not on it. So makeup will cause dust and dirt to stick to your face. So if you're a woman who had to have makeup before you left the house, you weren't necessarily a good candidate to be a puppeteer. Right. And, um, and so he saw me, he saw that I was all natural. There's no makeup and I was tall and he could tell from my shoulders that I was strong. And I was also with the top puppeteer in the California. So he walked over right away and said, you are and I said, I'm Terry Harden, and you're Jim Henson. And he said, yes, I am. <laughs> and the other puppeteer said, uh, she's with me. And I said, no, I'm not. You just hired me for this job. What are you saying? You know, and he <laughs> laughed, you know. And then um, he took us around and showed us around. And then as I was leaving, there was a little door. I was coming down a, uh, like a big spiral staircase with a beautiful balloon in the middle. And I was coming down the staircase, and a little door opened and a hand went in my pocket and then it left and I turned. It was like cousin it, you know, <laughs> and nobody saw it. I, I even doubted it. But when I pulled it out, it was a card and it said, call me. And, uh, you're going to be surprised because when I called him, he invited me to work on Sesame street. And I said, no, really? And yeah, that's usually the reaction I get. And Jim was really upset when I said, no, he said, you realize you're telling Jim Henson. No, I said, I realize that. And it hurts but you want me to come to New York and I was not comfortable in New York. I don't think I could do my best work, but if you ever come to California, I'm here for you. Uh huh. And he said, what makes you think that I'm coming to California? What makes you think that you don't have to be in New York? And I listed all these puppeteers that were Muppets that live in, you know, Dave Golsh, who does Gonzo lives in Northern California, always has. And, uh, Kevin Clash lived in Baltimore and uh, Steve Whitmire lived in Atlantic City. So he goes, okay, you've done your homework. You know. <laughs> so then um, eight years after that, he came to do Muppet 3D Theater. And the first thing he did was call me. Terry, this is Jim Henson. Shut the front door. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And he did Kermit the Frog. And then I said, okay, maybe you are. And he said, uh, I am coming over to do uh, Muppet 3D for Disney and I want to audition you. And if you're bad, I'm going to make you feel awful. You better be good because I'll make you feel bad if you're not. Wow. And I said, no problem. 
bring it on, buddy. And uh, he said, bring your portfolio. So uh, I did. And, and the audition is for another podcast. But if you guys want to hear it, just, you know, hit this wonderful podcast up and I'll tell you the story of my audition, which is pretty hilarious. But I, I landed it and I was really proud that I landed it and got to work with all the people, the main Muppet crew, all of the people that do all of the characters that I had watched as a kid uh-huh. were by my side as I did Muppet 3D, which was fun. I did background stuff. But uh, but they were all there the whole time I was there. So it was awesome. It was awesome. And after that, um, Jim and I were, were working on a show. And then um, the sad news is he passed. And I thought, that's it. I don't have any more Henson. But Jim had told his son. And his son said, I want you to come and work on dinosaurs. And I was like, what? Really? And that's how that happened. So I've been a Henson puppeteer since 1989. Wow. Yeah, they do it the same. You know, they don't have you in-house. They just, when they have an audition, they bring you all in mm-hmm. and you audition for them and you do voices and then when, and they pick who they want and then you do it or you don't and then you wait for the next time. So it's a lot like acting, but uh, yeah, it's great. I think the one thing that the Muppets found very confusing is that I had a life outside of Muppets. That always confused them. I did a cruise in 2005. I did the inaugural Panama Canal cruise. Disney brought me in as a guest artist, and I sailed from Florida to Long Beach. Right. Well, in the middle of that, all of a sudden, my Muppeteer friends, like Steve Whitmer, are walking down those narrow aisles, if you've ever been on a cruise ship. And I go, man, that sure looks like Steve. And I'm sure he's going, wow, that sure looks like Terry. And then we go, whoa, what are you doing here? And people were shocked to see me on the ship when Muppets hadn't hired me. And I said, well, dude, I do other things, you know. I'm a Disney artist. I'm a, you know, I've been in Ghostbusters. I've done that. You know, I don't put all my eggs in the Muppet basket. Uh-huh. And they were like, wow, you know, the big kahuna of Muppets was like, that girl's everywhere, you know, kind of like Bob Gurr, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> Bob Gurr is everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to follow. I want to be like him. Or you're, you just you just are there for people everywhere you go. And people just don't know what you're going to do next. I think that's the way that people should be today so that no one person thinks they've got gotcha, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the way you need to be. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I tell people if you put all your eggs in the Disney basket. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Terry Harden for being my guest and to you for listening. Be sure to come back next time for part two of our interview. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, You've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or really if you've had any special Disney experience that you want to share, or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney has done, I'd love to hear from you, too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in Apple Podcasts, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, Stitcher Smart Radio, or through Google Play Music. For that one, you can go to storiesofthemagic.com slash Google, and that link will take you right there. 
If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It really helps. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Basically, tell your friends about the show, whatever form of social media you use. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic, too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.